0: and welcome. I'm Ben Schultz.
1: I'm Nora Schultz.
0: And this is Trying to Adapt. And today we're trying to adapt to A Christmas Carol, the 1938 film version starring Reginald Owen as Ebenezer Scrooge. Some people consider this to be the definitive version of A Christmas Carol. Other people consider it to be the 1951 Alistair Sim version, which we will also be looking at.
1: So right off the bat, I just want to say that this one doesn't start with the recording of God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, which was honestly a little bit jarring.
0: Instead, we start with Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Hark the herald
1: angels sing. Glory to newborn king. However, right after this carol... We get the, um, seemingly legally obligated, um, aerial shot over a snowy London scene.
0: How else are you gonna start?
1: And we get an interesting introduction to the theme of social charity with, um, a nice rich dandy giving poor crippled Tiny Tim a sliding ride.
0: At the very start of the movie, over the snowy London scene that Nora mentioned, it tells us that this takes place more than a century ago. Which, because this is so old, it didn't seem quite right, but this came out in 1938, 100 years before that would be 1838. So basically what they're saying is that they just kind of assumed that the story took place at least five years before it was actually written.
1: Yeah, a bit of a bold assumption, but I will give them credit for being bold.
0: We like boldness.
1: Oh, and also the dandy that I mentioned earlier is our man, Fred Scrooge. I'm not actually sure if that's his last name, but I don't think he's really given one, so...
0: When they find out that he's actually Scrooge's nephew, they get scared. I knew Mr. Scrooge when I was a small boy. He's my uncle. (laughs) And then he, like, winks at them.
1: They literally run away too, like it's not they just get a little freaked out, like they run away from this perfectly nice man after he says, oh, Mr. Scrooge, that's my uncle.
0: We get introduced to Tim, who is not referred to as Tiny Tim for the first half of the movie, and then he is for the second half.
1: I also really like that not only is Fred really nice to the Cratchit kids, but he comes to Scrooge's office, and this is also when we're introduced to Bob Cratchit, and Fred and Bob seem to be like legitimate friends. They have this kind of solidarity of, hey, we both have to put up with Scrooge.
0: Fred actually goes into Scrooge's office and gets like a little glass, which is surprising coming from Scrooge, you know, you would think that a guy like this does not really drink. But he has, like, a wine glass in his office, and Fred takes it and fills it with something out of his pocket and gives it to Bob Cratchit, but then they are Really quick, though, all
1: I wrote down during this scene is when Scrooge isn't home.
0: Scrooge shows up six minutes into the movie, which is probably a little unusual.
1: We also get a fantastic musical sting when he enters. <laughs> going to be referencing these musical stings a lot, because overall, like, the sound design of this movie is absolutely fantastic. I will say right now that it's definitely one of the more accurate to the book, and by accurate, I don't necessarily just mean, like, oh, it takes a lot of lines from the book, or it includes a lot of scenes in the book, but also like, I think this adaptation really captures, like, I think out of most adaptations that, um... Charles Dickens would watch this one and be like, yeah, that's pretty much what I wrote.
0: They did make some interesting changes, which I think we'll go through point by point as we go.
1: But overall, not too many changes from the source material. There wasn't anything too shocking here. Um, also, in this adaptation's credit, the production value is very good, especially for the time. And like I said, the sound design is great. It's competently acted, um... So really not much to complain about, as you'll see.
0: And this is 11 years before the very primitive television version that we looked at in last episode. I don't know if you noticed this, but I made a note of it while we were watching. When Fred gives his speech about how great Christmas is, I thought that Scrooge actually looked a little bit, like, sentimental, and then all of a sudden, like, he just snaps back to being mean and nasty the moment he hears Bob Cratchit clapping.
1: That's kind of interesting. I'm not sure how I feel about that. I actually I didn't notice that. I didn't take note of it. What I did say during Fred's speech is that I think that his like speech about our great, great Christmases actually means a lot more in this version than it is in a lot of other adaptations. Because we've already seen Fred be kind to people with the spirit of Christmas. We get that scene where he's um, sliding just on the ice. With the Cratchit kids. So we've already seen that Fred really, he lives in the Christmas spirit. He takes that to heart. And so when he talks about how great the Christmas spirit is, I think it's more believable. Because we've seen how he enacts his philosophy.
0: Yeah, something I definitely noticed is that all throughout the movie we get a lot more Fred and Bob Cratchit character development than in most adaptations. Usually the only character who really gets, like, thoroughly developed in the story is Scrooge himself.
1: Yeah, and I definitely think that Scrooge is well-developed in this version, but I also like that time is time and care is taken to um, explore Fred and Bob, because both of them are really the heart of the story, even more than Tiny Tim, hot take.
0: We have the classic moment where Fred explains... To his uncle, that the reason he's getting married is because he fell in love, and Scrooge thinks this is absolutely ridiculous. In this version, I think this is unusual. It seemed to me like like Scrooge was hearing this for the first time.
1: I did actually make a note later on about how it doesn't seem like Scrooge is familiar with Fred or his fiancé, really. I'll get to that later. I'll get to that in the church scene.
0: Like, in the book and in most adaptations, it seems like when Scrooge says to his nephew, why are you getting married? And he says, because I fell in love. It seems to me like that's a response that Scrooge knows he's going to get, and he wants to, like, make a point about it. But in this version, it seems like he had no idea that his nephew actually fell in love with the woman he's marrying.
1: Um, I also want to note, speaking of musical stings as I did a couple minutes ago, um, at the typical scene where the charity collectors come into Scrooge's office and they're like, What can I put you down for And Scrooge says, Nothing. There's a fantastic musical sting that really has to be heard to be believed. I'm basically just saying to go and watch this adaptation. It's an hour long and it's on YouTube, guys.
0: All of these are on YouTube the ones that we're going to watch are all on YouTube if you just look up a Christmas Carol full movie.
1: But if you if you hear a musical stain, and like me, that gets your heart racing, I think you should definitely check this one out.
0: Something I noticed about the charity guys is that in this version, they go up to Bob Cratchit first and ask him whether he's Scrooge or Marley, and then when they get to Scrooge, they ask him whether he's Scrooge or Marley. Do these guys do this to every employee they come across at every business?
1: That's a good question. You would kind of think that, like, you know, you enter an office and you kind of expect to see a clerk there first, and then you would be like, where's your boss? Where's your supervisor? Kind of thing.
0: I mean, given the way that Bob Cratchit is forced to work in such terrible conditions, you would think it would be pretty clear that he's not in charge here.
1: I actually, I had another note later on about how I feel like in this adaptation, the Cratchits don't seem that poor, which I think is also something I said about the previous one. I don't know how much of a reoccurring theme this is going to be. Maybe I just don't know what, like, Victorian England poor looks like.
0: I think the problem that they run into when they're adapting that is that they have to make the Cratchits look happy and, like, fulfilled, so I they can't had... they can't be completely destitute. They have to exude a spirit of happiness.
1: Yeah, later on during the Cratchit scene, I also have another note delving into, like, the Cratchit family's happiness. I'll get into that later.
0: Scrooge has, like, his head is mostly bald, but he has, like, a little tuft of hair on oh, the I very top of his head.
1: I really loved that.
0: He has a little tuft of hair, and it, like, sticks up and it like fluffs out most of the time
1: it's just enough character without seeming ridiculous i really love that um so after we leave we kind of follow bob cratchit as he leaves the office which is kind of a new one Bob Cratchit comes across these kind of, like, street urchins, and they start getting into a snowball fight. I will say right now that this adaptation has a lot of very wholesome scenes, and I thought one of them was the one where Bob Cratchit, like, at length tells these kids how to make a good snowball. Like, that just made me happy.
0: That was nice, but it also leads us into not only a very bad moment for Bob Cratchit, but also a major divergence from the actual plot, because... To demonstrate proper snowball-throwing technique, Bob Cratchit throws a snowball at the first person who crosses the street in front of him, and that person turns out to be Ebenezer Scrooge, who sees what he's done and immediately goes up to him and tells him he's fired, and because his hat fell off when the snowball hit him, he makes bob cratchit actually give him back some of his recently paid salary to pay for the hat even though it looks pretty much unharmed which should just tell you how much of a mean and nasty guy scrooge is
1: yeah i felt like that was actually like very good padding like it um it's in character it adds just enough to be an interesting plot point without really like obscuring or changing any of the themes whatsoever it also gives us a kind of unexpectedly sad moment where Bob Cratchit is walking through the streets. However, of course, because it's Bob Cratchit, it immediately stops being sad as soon as he starts laughing at a dead bird that's being swung back and forth by the person walking in front of him. <laughs> Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas! At which point he laughs maniacally and shouts Merry Christmas. So in case you were feeling too bad for Bob Cratchit, don't worry, it's Bob Cratchit.
0: And then he goes Christmas shopping, which in Victorian England, I guess, consisted of just buying groceries, but like more of them than usual. And he seems very happy about this.
1: Oh, here is actually the note about, um... Here, I said, I wonder if Bob Cratchit would be considered less sympathetic by a capitalist audience if he was bitter instead of happy about the crimes being committed against him. Then again, though, the whole message is that Christmas is a time for everyone to appreciate whatever they have, so maybe now is not the time for me to get scathingly woke. We do have plenty of other opportunities on this podcast for me to do so, but for now I rest my case.
0: Bob Cratchit gets home and he shows his family all the wonderful food that he bought. His family is so happy about this that they start like screaming with joy.
1: This. this?
0: From the Cratchit scene, we then fade into Scrooge doing something weird and nondescript at some business, and then he just walks out. He heads his way to his home past a choir which is singing God rest ye merry gentlemen so we get that checked we out. We
1: finally get to hear God rest You merry gentlemen. However, I wish that we had it. Yay! Because I'm assuming that this is on purpose considering how good the production quality is in all other places, but they managed to round up the most off-key collection of children possible. This is, I have never felt such pain listening to my favorite Christmas song before. I'm not going to let it ruin it for me, but if you were of a weaker constitution than I, it might make it one of your least favorite Christmas songs. Thank God it only lasts like half a minute.
0: So Scrooge gets home and then he sees Marley's face appear in the place of the door knocker, to which he responds by just shouting, Marley! And then it goes away and then he goes into his house and just uh, walks around.
1: Now this does start an absolutely fantastic scene where you really get to see how much fun like the sound designer had because... This adaptation, I think, really plays up the haunting aspect more than a lot. For example, as Scrooge is walking around, this, like, eerie music plays in the background, but as soon as he stops moving and looks around, the music cuts to silence. It really has the vibe of a horror movie at times. Um, and as Scrooge enters his bedroom, um, the soundtrack is replaced by just kind of these eerie, like, pitches in the background. There was definitely an atmosphere of horror, and this is continued by Marley's fading into the room, done with really excellent special effects for the time.
0: Here's another thing that they changed from the original. When the ghost of Jacob Marley appears, and Scrooge once again doesn't recognize him, even though he literally saw Marley's ghostly face on the door knocker two minutes ago. When the ghost materializes in his room... He calls down to, like, the night watchman in the street and tells them, in my room. They go up there, and the spirit has disappeared, and they laugh at him. And then they leave, and Marley's ghost comes back. And somehow, this is the thing that convinces Scrooge that the ghost is real.
1: Yeah, that entire scene was kind of weird to me because I'm not totally sure what, like, the local guards coming into his room and laughing at this poor old man for potentially hallucinating is supposed to be about. But it also kind of really makes you think about, like, well, is Scrooge hallucinating this? Or um, is Marley just kind of choosing to be seen at this point? He must be able to choose when he's seen because he does deliver his classic line about, like, I have been by you many days. So if he's really being true about that, then obviously he can, like, make himself invisible and then visible again to Scrooge. Unless he's just lying, which is also possible.
0: And then Marley tells him... You will be haunted by three spirits the first when the bell tolls one,
1: the second on the stroke of two, the
0: third on the last vibration of three. Which is a change from the original, where they come on different nights, although they actually do come on the same night. That's the twist.
1: In case I didn't mention it in the first episode, I'm pretty sure I did, I'm gonna say it again right now. I actually do like this change where they're all coming in the same night, Because I always did think it was a little bit weird, like, wait, why did they have to manipulate Scrooge's perception of time? Like, what exactly was the point of freaking him out into, like, it's one o'clock again? Like, are they just trying to mess with an old man?
0: But then Scrooge still asks Marley, Couldn't I take all three at once and have it over? Like, you are getting it over with.
1: Also, in case I forget, at the end, when he does wake up, And he asks the boy, what day is it? Like, Scrooge, you knew they were all coming in one night. You knew it was Christmas Eve. It's just Christmas Day now.
0: So they forgot to make the rest of it kind of match up to their decision.
1: Overall, though, I do actually like that change. I think it just clears up that part of the plot a little bit more. Because that was a little messy in the original book.
0: So then the ghost of Christmas past arrives, who is a woman wearing a nurse's cap with, like, a glittery star stuck on the top.
1: I do like that um, the ghost of Christmas past here almost immediately digs into Scrooge because he's like, "My, my eyes are blinded by your light. And then she's like, oh, well, it's the light of gratitude. It's the light of kindness. Of course your eyes aren't used to it, which was fantastic.
0: She takes him to the boarding school where he went as a boy.
1: She doesn't just take him there, though. They fly through the air, which is not in the book. Um, and well, Also
0: I... great special effects.
1: Great special effects there, too. And I know for a fact that I've seen that, like, flying through the air in different adaptations. So something that I'm going to keep an eye out for is what is the earliest adaptation that has some kind of scene like that. I wouldn't be surprised to find out that it's this one, considering how early it is. I think Um, we
0: only have one adaptation on our list that is before this one.
1: Alright, so it's probably this one. So I thought that was interesting, because I've definitely seen- we're going to see that in more adaptations to come. And I think that that translates to screen better than just, like, now we're at your boarding school.
0: And so now they are at his boarding school, and we find out that Dick Wilkins, the guy who was his apprenticeship partner at Fezziwigs, was also a classmate of his at boarding school, before he became his workmate and potentially his actual mate.
1: And Dick! Dick Wilkins! Yeah, I did like the Dick Wilkins representation. Um, I also liked that we hear from Yon Scrooge himself In the book, we don't really hear, like, kid Scrooge say anything because he's just kind of studying by himself. But here there's actually a pretty nice scene where he's talking to another classmate who's like, oh, well, aren't your parents coming to pick you up from Christmas? And um, Scrooge himself says, like, well, no, my father thinks that, like, that's all a waste of time. Basically the kind of things that you hear older Scrooge say, and I thought that was a nice parallel so you could see where Scrooge got these ideas from.
0: It's interesting that in this version, Scrooge seems to have actual friends as a child, whereas kind of the idea in the original book and in other adaptations is that he's lonely and it, like, affected his mental state permanently, but then we also get the other young Scrooge scenes where he's happy. Maybe they made a good change here.
1: Well, I also feel like it's balanced out by the fact that we all, like, literally see him, like, in like studying in the classroom by himself and he starts crying which is not from the book and I don't think I've seen that in any other adaptations either and it made me pretty sad so I think that's kind of balanced Uh, you see that yes he has friends but he's still a very lonely and sad child um we transition right from this scene to the one where his younger sister comes and picks him up and I do want to make a note right here his little sister calls him Ebby and it's the cutest thing.
0: Also, his friends call him Eb. Eb? Eb!
1: Eb! Exclamation point.
0: So then, when Scrooge goes to see his apprentice self working for Fezziwig, he sees how nice a guy Fezziwig is, and it almost causes a breakthrough, because he would realize like he can be a good businessman and also a nice person, until the Ghost of Christmas Past actually points out the parallel to him, at which point he immediately becomes defensive. Your clock, for instance. Business is business. I am a good businessman. So this is a stronger Scrooge than we have we saw in the last episode.
1: Well, yeah, I like that scene for both reasons, both things that are going on there. One, the Scrooge is stronger which, I personally prefer a stronger Scrooge because I think it makes his redemption that much more heartwarming. I can see why somebody would prefer a softer Scrooge as well. But I also like this scene because I like the fact that the Ghost of Christmas Past deliberately creates that parallel between Scrooge and Bob Cratchit and Fezziwig and Scrooge. Because I can see how that would be mi- I mean that's something that I haven't necessarily thought that hard about. Obviously I- Fezziwig is supposed to represent like how one can be a good businessman. But um, I've never really considered specifically how the relationship between Fezziwig and Scrooge could be replicated by Scrooge in his relationship with Cratchit. And I like that the Ghost of Christmas Past makes that parallel clear to the audience.
0: Now, once again, the Ghost of Christmas Past tries to show Scrooge his girlfriend breaking up with him, and he refuses and makes her go away, and he ends up back in his bed. But this time, the ghost of christmas past actually kind of plays the role of scrooge's girlfriend in telling him how much he's changed and how the black years of his life he's entered
1: yeah i did like um how like this ghost of christmas past i think has more of a personality than is normally attributed like she as i've said a couple times already like she deliberately digs into him at points that i think really work I also- I'm not sure how I feel about both of the adaptations that we've looked at so far, just kind of skipping over the scenes with his fiance Because I understand that, like, it's supposed to show how painful these memories are for Scrooge, but at the same time, I feel like part of his redemption arc is that he's exposed to this pain. I think it's kind of a cop-out to, like- Let Scrooge get away without having to relive that These are also some great lines delivered by that fiancé About how, like, cold and heartless And specifically about how money-oriented he's become Like, that really I felt like in the book His fiancé gets kind of the best lines In terms of, like, criticizing greed And so I am kind of sad to see that cut
0: out Now we meet the Ghost of Christmas Present, who is basically everything you want the Ghost of Christmas Present to be.
1: Absolute bear. Absolute hunk of a man.
0: Sitting on his throne of food. Come here. Come here and know me better, Scrooge. I am the Ghost of Christmas Present.
1: Have you never seen the like of me before? Never. (laughs) This actor's also having, like, a fantastic time. And I'm very happy for him.
0: Big improvement over the version that we looked at last episode. The ghost of Christmas present was just some guy.
1: Oh no, like here, you 100% believe that this is the embodiment of Christmas.
0: He makes Scrooge touch the edge of his robe, and then they teleport into the middle of London on Christmas Day.
1: Now, they do kind of play up the whole, like, um, the Ghost of Christmas Present can, like, sprinkle stuff over people to make them care
0: about Christmas, which, it's, like- It's not just stuff. He explicitly says that it's alcohol that he's sprinkling.
1: Oh, yeah, you're right. I still feel like that's kind of a weird little scene, because it's like, whoa, wait, wait, wait. The Ghost of Christmas Present can just use mind control on people? Also, if the Ghost of Christmas Present has this ability, why didn't he just sprinkle a shitload of it over Scrooge?
0: That's a really good point.
1: That was while we were watching it where I paused it and I was like, wait, this is going to open up a can of worms. I've just opened it.
0: All right. Now, this is a problem that you've raised that (laughs) applies not only to this particular adaptation, but to the entire premise. The entire premise. premise,
1: yes. Because in the original book, if you'll remember, this is also a thing that Scrooge witnesses that the ghost of Christmas present can mind control.
0: I would suggest possibly that Scrooge is such an asshole that it wouldn't even have an effect on him.
1: I think that's the only logical conclusion. At the very least, don't you think he could have done it just a little bit? Just like give him a little pick-me-up or assuming that all ghosts of christmas present every year have this ability, couldn't they have like nipped it in the bud with Scrooge like when he was starting to get when he was starting to get like cynical about christmas?
0: Interesting. Maybe they forgot to get to him in past christmases. And this is the ghost of Christmas present trying to fix the mistake of his older brothers?
1: Well, I was going to say earlier that I like, and this is from the book as well, I like when the ghost of Christmas past talks about Scrooge's sister and says, like, well, she had children. And Scrooge corrects the ghost of Christmas past and says, one. It shows that the ghosts of Christmases are, like, kind of omniscient, but not totally
0: They need him to jog their memory, I guess.
1: Yeah, so I also like that idea that the ghost of Christmas presents passed. Hope I haven't lost anyone. Um, Just forgot to get around to Scrooge. Because they're not totally omniscient. They make mistakes. I like that. Also, this is a little unrelated, but thinking about the ghost of Christmas present, there's another issue I realized about him, right? Right in the book this is not in the book in particular i'm not really sure if they played it up in this adaptation but when he is like starting to die because christmas is ending is that just a lie because it's still christmas eve
0: well i think technically it's christmas morning in the early hours so he would be alive but like he would not be dying that's true I mean, if we're using time travel, maybe he did get to see the Ghost of Christmas Present die before he actually died.
1: And then he just teleported him back to Christmas Eve?
0: In the same way that Scrooge witnesses his own death later on.
1: Fair enough.
0: Now, after the Ghost of Christmas Present finishes sprinkling alcohol on everyone who starts arguing in front of the alley that everyone in London starts arguing in front of, he makes Scrooge touch his robe like he's going to teleport them again but then they just walk away.
1: Yeah, I remember saying to you at that point, he just wanted some human contact. He's just a little he's just a little touch starved. He's just a little lonely.
0: Then they go to the church where Fred and his fiance and the Cratchits are all attending Christmas mass.
1: Yeah, I feel like stories of a Christmas carol don't normally get this explicitly religious.
0: Especially since the spiritual aspect of the story is so kind of ambiguous. Yeah.
1: Also, here was where I made the note about Fred's fiancé, where, like, Scrooge literally watches Fred and his fiancé sing for, like, ten seconds, and he turns to the ghost of Christmas present, and he's like, they're so happy. They should get married, which... Makes you consider, has he ever met Fred's fiance before? The answer is probably no.
0: Yeah. Uh, And then Church lets out, and Fred accuses the pastor of not having a soul because he discourages ice sliding in front of the church.
1: Boys, boys, boys! Sliding in front of the church? Now run away home. And a Merry Christmas to y'all. Run home, run home.
0: <laughs> but darling, he has no soul. He's
1: simply acting like a grown-up.
0: <laughs> I still say he has no soul. He just doesn't appreciate the qualities of a good slide.
1: I guess Fred's sliding on the ice ability is a bit of a chekhov's gun because it does come back at this point. Um, there is kind of a cute moment though where like this pastor gets mad at him for sliding, presumably because he doesn't want to have to clean blood off the church steps. Um But then it cuts back to him and he's doing a little bit of sliding himself. So it's like, aw, Christmas.
0: We continue to follow the Cratchits as they have their Christmas dinner. And the Ghost of Christmas Present pretty much directly tells Scrooge that by firing Bob Cratchit, he is going to kill Tiny Tim. With the kind of care that money can buy, who could tell? But Bob Cratchit has no money. Not even a position I've had.
1: I do like it, though. Kind of in the same way that I like the Ghost of Christmas Past pointing out the um, Bob-Scrooge-Scrooge-Fezziwig parallel. Because, like, I don't think it's so obvious that it's hitting the audience over the head with it. Like, I think it's a tasteful way of centering the audience's focus around a main idea.
0: Now, Bob Cratchit is so nice that he continues to pretend that he was not, in fact, fired, and goes even further than that. Oh, wh- why, it was only yesterday Mr. Scrooge came to me, shook my hand, and Cratchit, he says, Cratchit my lad, he-, he calls me Malad. You're one in a thousand, you're... His... Now
1: that I think about that, that is kind of an, um, a neutral phrase.
0: Yeah, one in a thousand. I mean, not only could that be construed negatively, it's also not all that exceptional. Like, we live in a fairly small city of Racine, Wisconsin. There are still, oh, they're
1: gonna dox us now.
0: There are still 80 people who would qualify for one in a thousand.
1: So even if he is one in a thousand, Scrooge could totally fire him and find a replacement.
0: Especially in London. I mean, there must be thousands of one in a thousand there.
1: Exactly.
0: So Bob Cratchit is totally committed to the idea of just pretending that he has not been fired, and I don't know how long he intended to keep this up, maybe just until after Christmas, but Martha keeps pushing until he eventually has to give it up.
1: Overall, I felt like the Cratchit party scene and um, Fred's party scene aren't too eventful. They didn't really change a whole lot here. It's basically as described in the book— um,
0: Although it gets briefly very weird when the goose is revealed, and we get this weird echoing laughter that sounds almost demonic.
1: And get the goose! Yeah, get, get the, the, the goose. goose! Oh, the goose! <laughs> the <laughs> goose! Oh, I forgot about that.
0: And then, when that's over, Tiny Tim goes. Uh,
1: I'd like to stroke it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That is kind of a weird thing to say, T.T. That is how how I abbreviate him in my notes. That's
0: how I abbreviate him in my notes. T.T. We didn't coordinate that at all. That's crazy.
1: My man T.T.
0: And then Bob Cratchit tells his wife that her pudding gets better every year, which I can only assume means that the ghost of Christmas yet to come gets to show Scrooge a fucking kick-ass pudding.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, Tiny Tim might be dead. However.
0: The pudding is better than ever.
1: The pudding is to die for. Get it? <sighs> R.I.P.T.T. Uh, I will say really quickly yeah. that in this Ghost of Christmas Present sequence, we actually get Scrooge saying, I love Christmas. I'm gonna stay, I tell you. Don't be a fool, man. You don't like Christmas. But I do. I do like Christmas. I love Christmas. Ha ha. Ha 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 Which I don't know if I totally like that, considering that like he hasn't really he hasn't finished his redemption arc. But even in the book it kinda seemed like the whole Ghost of Christmas yet to come thing was overkill because he was already like, Oh, Ghost of Christmas yet to come, teach me whatever you have to teach. Which like, I don't know.
0: You'll notice that despite saying that he loves Christmas all of a sudden, he doesn't Actually like apologize For anything he's done
1: He also doesn't try to join in In the festivities which he does in like Kind of described in the book. Pretty sure that's in other adaptations as well. We get, like, a a 20-second montage of Scrooge smiling in his sleep while images of all the happy things he's seen so far pass over his head, which was a little creepy, but also a little bit wholesome, so I'll
0: allow it. It went on too long, and the effect was not good enough to justify it.
1: Fair enough.
0: So the ghost of Christmas yet to come shows up, And all of a sudden, they're both in what looks like the graveyard where Scrooge is buried. So you think they're going to just jump directly to the scene where he sees his grave. But no, they walk back into London.
1: Now, if you're like me... You might be thinking, hold up, where are the ignorance and want kids? We just skipped over them. However, I did kind of go on at length in the first episode about how I didn't really understand what the message of the ignorance and want kids was supposed to be. So maybe kind of like the ghosts coming all in one night thing. This is a change that I think actually like makes the message a little clearer. Um, unmuddies those waters a little bit. So while I do kind of miss the ignorance and want kids, maybe it's better for them to not be in it.
0: Speaking of things we miss. We get yet another near miss from the man who never eats lunch. Because it's mentioned, once again, that there's going to be a lunch at Scrooge's funeral, and the other businessmen are debating whether or not they should bother to go. We don't get to hear the guy explain that he actually never eats lunch.
1: We are still on man who doesn't eat lunch. Watch. We are watching out for him. Mm-hmm. We will excitedly tell you when we find him. Now, right after this scene, we get the scene where Scrooge is about to lift the cover off of his dead body, but he pussies out at the last second. Um, This scene goes by kind of, like, quicker than felt right, I would say. I think that scene felt a little bit rushed. However, I did like that there was some nice creepy organ music in the back that I think made up for any shortcomings. I loved it.
0: As in the book, Scrooge realizes that this mysterious man who died is a stand-in for what's going to happen to him when he dies. But yet again, he still somehow doesn't connect the dots about this.
1: The line in particular that I think seemed particularly obtuse on Scrooge's part, though, was a fantastic addition and I think really like kind of cuts to the heart of the story as some of the other added lines that I've talked about did was when Scrooge says... Everyone who knew him must feel sorrow. Sorrow they never feel for me. Which, like, fantastic line, but also, as you're saying it, is it not occurring to you that maybe the person you no one's feeling sorrow for is you?
0: He sees his grave, as usual, and then he wakes up, and he realizes he's actually still alive, and he gets so happy that he... I think he wants to react in some big way, but he can't think of what to do, so he just kind of, like, shakes a little bit.
1: A little bit before this wake-up, though, I just, like, want to say really quick, Alistair Sims does an absolutely great job of delivering the, like, I shall live in the past, present, and the future, and the whole, like, please tell me that this is not my end monologue. Like, I just want to give a little moment of appreciation for that, because...
0: In the Alistair Sim version?
1: Oh wait, which actor is this?
0: This is Reginald Owen.
1: Reginald Owen. Fantastic monologue. Sorry for forgetting your name.
0: Fantastic, but not fantastic enough for her to actually remember your name.
1: Yeah, I did also point out at this moment, why does he ask the kid what day it is when the ghosts were supposed to come in one night?
0: He shows up at Fred's Christmas party, which I guess is happening in the middle of the afternoon? Mom pointed this out. It seems like they're having dinner, like, in the morning or in the early afternoon because he, like, goes directly there after waking up. Maybe he just woke up super late.
1: I like that you just said mom. All of our moms pointed that out. Yes. Mother Earth.
0: Hey, they know we're siblings. Come on. Scrooge shows up at this party, and he whispers some kind of advice to Fred's fiancée, Bess, And then he's like, what is he doing? And then she repeats whatever it is he whispered to Fred. And then they both kind of laugh. At which
1: point the audience is going, what is he doing?
0: Yeah, we don't find out what he said.
1: Well, we find out later that um, Scrooge promised to help Fred and Bess get married. So presumably it was that. But it would still be kind of nice to hear what the words were.
0: Still a weird thing to whisper.
1: Yeah, I don't know why that couldn't be like a public... Declaration. It's not like people didn't know they were planning on getting married.
0: Now, in the book, Scrooge donates the turkey to the Cratchit family anonymously. And that's how the Cratchits don't actually find out that Scrooge has turned nice until the next day. So he gets to do the whole thing about, like, pretending he's mean and pretending he's gonna fire. But that wouldn't work in this version because...
1: He's already fired.
0: In this version, Scrooge actually just shows up with the turkey and Bob Cratchit says to his wife, like, I think he's gone mad. I think we need to, like, call the police or something. You
1: know, I like that this adaptation includes a scene where people in-universe actually freak out about Scrooge, because I will say, I'll I'll be hard-pressed to find an adaptation where I don't find Scrooge's, like, maniacal laughter at the end a little bit creepy. I think most actors tend to go a little bit overboard with scrooge's transformation i think even charles dickens went a little bit overboard in describing what he does so i'm not going to blame them for that necessarily but i've always found it a little bit off-putting and it was nice to see characters in universe voicing this discomfort that i had
0: he actually goes so crazy that the children start screaming
1: bob what should we do oh our
0: children bob Uh, and then it turns out he actually just gave them a toy carousel, which, I don't know where he got that from. We didn't, like, see him buy it somewhere.
1: Yeah, it would be kind of interesting, like, oh, Scrooge just dusted that off from his closet. Bought in case of emergency change of heart. I will say, I already praised this adaptation earlier, um, but I wouldn't be able to end this episode without... Criticizing it as well So I will say That I think Not only just in the Cratchit home But in general This adaptation Doesn't really show us A lot of poverty Directly Like Scrooge Never really has to face Poverty They also cut out The scene with like The um The poor people Who like robbed His house After he died So we really like Go through Almost this entire story Pretty much only Seeing Like the middle class and higher. Um, because the Cratchits really do seem fairly middle class in this. I would say that I think that dampens the message a little bit. Just by not showing us. I mean also like cutting out the ignorance and want kids. Like there's not much suffering in this story. Which I think it makes for a very wholesome movie. And a very enjoyable movie. But I don't know if it quite cuts to the heart. Of Charles Dickens' message about social charity. That's all I really had to say.
0: All right, I think that just about covers it. Uh, I've been Ben Schultz.
1: I've been Nora Schultz.
0: And you have been listening to Trying to Adapt.
1: Thank you. <laughs>